Praise the Lord. If you got your Bible with you, go with me to the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 3. Thank you, Lord. We're going to talk some more today as the Lord leads us and helps us about some of the things we've been talking about together for the last, I don't know, six weeks or so. About what is it that makes this church grow? And I always feel a little funny saying it, looking at a mostly empty room. And I know it's because the doors aren't open yet. And I know we got a lot of people watching and waiting who are hungry to be in here. And I know as soon as we get these doors open, I know this place will be full. But you don't want to wait till you see something before you start saying something. And I've said this to you already, but it bears repeating. The life of faith is not based on first seeing, then believing. It's the other way around. We believe so that we will see. And in this church, that same principle applies. We're not going to wait and preach salvation until some people start getting saved. We're not going to wait for them to get saved before we preach salvation. That's ridiculous. You preach it so that you will see it. And that's how faith for it comes, right? By hearing the word on it. We're not going to wait till somebody gets healed before we start preaching healing. You're never going to see it. You preach that Jesus is the healer. You preach that it's God's will for you to be made well and whole and strong. Faith comes and you believe that, then you see it. Well, the same principle applies with the growth of this church. We don't wait until there's a bunch of people in the room until we start talking about how to grow. No, we're going to preach it. We're going to look to the word for it. And that's what's so important is you look to the word for it. Because there's a lot of ways to grow anything, including a church that have nothing to do with God. And we want to make sure that how we grow is we grow according to the word. Let's look at this together in first Timothy chapter three, Paul writing to this young pastor who was, I think exactly my age, uh, early forties. And in first Timothy chapter three, He said to him in verse 14, these things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly, but if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God. Notice these words here, the pillar and ground of the truth. What's the pillar and the ground of the truth? The church. And he said, I'm writing these things to you. (laughs) I like this line. So you know how to act in church. Isn't that what he said? Look at it again. I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church. And what is the church? It's the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth. I'm writing to you, Paul said. I'm writing to you, young pastor. I mean, I take this very personally. I'm in the exact same place that this young guy, Timothy, was in. And so I take this very personally. He might as well have said, I'm writing to you, Jeremy, so that, check this out, you know how to act in church. You hearing me online, family? I'm writing to you so that you know how to act in church. Should we be acting in church differently than we act Just on a a day-to-day basis? I mean, should our conduct, should we come to church with a different mentality? 
I'm setting you up a little bit here. And, and, and there are a lot of people that say, no, you know, look, I'm just going to be myself. I'm myself everywhere I go. And well, that's OK, unless you're messed up <laughs> and then you being used, not OK. <laughs> No, we're not. The the highest aim of our lives is not to just fully express ourselves. That's what this world will tell you, right? You just be you and you just live your own truth and you just express yourself any old way you want to. You got to be careful who you say that to because some people are strange. (laughs) No, our highest aim and goal in this life is not to self-express. We are to express Jesus. To reflect Jesus. Amen, if you believe that. But I like what he said here. I'm writing to you so that you know how to act in church. Y'all are going to laugh at this, but I I found something this morning, thinking about some of these things. uh, Online, of all places. Just put up that first slide. Let me show this to you. Look what I found online. And this is proof. I was Googling at 628 this morning. Notice what I found here. This is WikiHow. Does anybody know what the website WikiHow is? I've stumbled across it a few times. It it just basically helps with like practical things. I mean, you could find like how to change a light bulb or how to wash a car. Just this little stuff around the house. It just spells it out for you step by step. Step one, two, three, four. Well, I don't even know how I found this, but I came across it this morning. Uh, How to act respectfully in church. Anybody interested in this information this morning? How to act respectfully in church. Now, the highlights and the red lines are mine, but I want you to read some of this. Whether you're a first-time visitor or a regular attendee, it's important to understand the etiquette at a Christian church. All denominations and parishes are unique, so the rules may differ slightly depending on where you are. This article covers some of the general guidelines for how to act in church. Check out step one. Dress modestly and maturely. Now, a lot of this was good information. Uh, while, listen, while expressing yourself, what we were just talking about that, can be healthy and fun in a casual setting, it's good to keep it modest and professional at church. Now, I like this next instruction right here. Wash up. Wash up. Look at your neighbor and say, wash up. This is good advice, ladies and gentlemen. Wash up. Wear some of your nicer clothes. Just like how you'd want to dress well when you're going somewhere important, you want to dress well when you're in God's house. I didn't really catch the next line. Avoid strong perfumes and colognes. (laughs) That went on. Let's go on to step two. uh, I like this one. Arrive at church early. Bless yourself. I, I don't know. I don't know. Bless yourself and genuflect, genuflect before sitting quietly in a pew. Uh, I have to admit that this list sort of uncovers my limited vocabulary. I have no idea what it is to genuflect. I don't know if it hurts. I don't know (laughs) if it's, if you have to have an usher help you with it or what, but genuflect. Um, It's very important to stay quiet. Try to arrive between 5 and 15 minutes early if possible. If you arrive late, you could interrupt people's focus. Uh, Anyway, this this has good information. Go on to this next one for me. Oh, yeah, I like this. Step three, 
of how to behave respectfully in church. Shake hands with those around you during the greeting. This is a good time to chat briefly, catch up, and exchange compliments. I like this next line. See if you can think of something nice to say. <laughs> just see. Just give it a shot. If you can't, then just stand there quietly. I like this. This is obviously written. I don't know when it was written. If there's an illness going around. For example, during the flu season, or if you're very afraid of germs, it's okay not to shake hands. <laughs> Listen to what they say you should do. You might say, I'd rather not shake hands, but I am happy to see you. <laughs> Isn't that nice? Well, this is all step-by-step step how to behave in church. Go to the next one for me. This one's great. Verse, uh, verse number four. Speak respectfully of your neighbors, both the church girls around you and the people who aren't here. There's nothing godly about gossip. Keep your words kind, even towards people you disagree with or dislike. Show God's love to everyone. Say this next one with me. Avoid swearing in church. I would ask that if you don't mind, if that's okay. Avoid swearing in church. Okay, next one. Let's go. Get Get past all this here. Uh, number five, pay attention and participate during the service. Once again, this is a sign of respect both to others and to him. Although it might get boring. <laughs> huh. Although it might get boring. Keep your thoughts on God. If, you mind, if your mind wanders, at least stay on your best behavior. Do your best, Chris, to be mature. <laughs> During the sermon, even if the topic is uncomfortable or you aren't sure you agree with the priest. That's good advice. This next one went on to say, some people have trouble focusing. If your mind wanders easily, like, listen to this, it's okay to say a freestyle prayer in your head to God for a while. And you can see I have questions about this. Is this like a rap? Is that what they're trying to encourage you to do? If your mind wanders, it's okay to just freestyle in your head. So if I look out in the crowd and I see people just like one ear and just like, yo, God, I'm here to worship you with my heart. And if you're just freestyling, that's fine. If you got bored, singing is a great way to participate and feel closer to God. If you're shy, it's okay to sing quietly or just follow the words with your mind. God isn't picky. I think he's probably more picky than you might think. What's the next one? Surely we're coming to the end. Yeah, this is towards the end here. I like the illustrations to really help make room for people coming in and out of the pew. Just skip down there. If someone is coming, do your best to get out of the way. So this is great advice, isn't it? Sorry, I don't know why I felt compelled to share all that with you this morning. But it did make me realize we have so many schools of thought. We can take that down now, thank you. About how to act in church and where it comes from. And if you grew up in church, I grew up in church, many of you did. Maybe you had a, a domineering mother <laughs> that was going to make sure that you were still, you were quiet, you behaved well, and it just was not a place. Church is not fun. We do not laugh. Behave yourself. Don't act up in church. We get all these traditions about how we're supposed to behave in church. But the Bible's talking to us, and I think it's probably important that we, did, we, we make decisions about how we act in church based on what the Bible says. And that's what Paul wrote here to Timothy. Didn't say anything to him about freestyling in your head. He didn't say anything to him about getting out of people's way or any of that. What he did say, though, if you back up in this same chapter, 
into verse 1. It says, it's a faithful saying, if a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. Now, that word bishop just means an overseer, somebody who's in a position to make decisions, to give direction. That would be the position that Sarah and I hold or others on our staff, people in leadership. Notice what the requirements are. He talks about how they should be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, and so on. Listen to what he says in verse 4. One who rules his own house well. Now he's talking to you about how you act in God's house, but he's bringing it back to how you act in your house. One who rules his own house well, having his children in submission. Now listen to this word, with all reverence. I want you to say the word reverence. He goes on in uh, verse 8, says, likewise, deacons must be reverent. So there's that word again, reverent. Now, a deacon is, you look it up, this is just somebody who serves. This is not a particular place of high authority or position in the church. This is somebody who serves. This is somebody who ministers. It's not a word we use so often in our circles anyway, but he's just talking about somebody who is serving others in the church. And the first thing he requires of this person is that they be reverent. Verse 11, likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanders, temp- but they must be temperate, faithful in all things. Let these servants be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. Again, he starts talking about what's going on in your house. How what happens in the house of God, and you've heard us say this before, should be going on in your house. But did you notice the word that kept coming up over and over when he's writing to him saying, this is how I want you acting in church. This is how I want you to conduct yourself in church. What's the word you hear over and over? Reverent. Reverence. We've been looking in the book of Acts for the last several weeks. Go over there with me to Acts chapter 9. We were looking at this early, early church, the first few days of this church, and what was going on in it and how they were so miraculously growing. I mean, from the day of Pentecost forward, thousands of people were added to the church, sometimes thousands at a time. When the Spirit of God came and rested upon them in the upper room and filled them up. And they came out speaking in other tongues and people thought they were drunk. And Peter had to preach to them and say, we're not drunk, at least not like you think we are. And he began to preach and people heard it and they believed it and they received it. And the scripture tells us that, what was it? 3,000 people were added to the church that day. That's miracle grow, man. That is growing miraculously and exponentially fast. And it wasn't just that day, but in the next chapter, in the miracle that we've already talked about today, the man at the gate, when he received his strength, people came. And again, Peter and John preached to him. And again, thousands of people were added. You see it in, where are you, chapter 9? You can see it in chapter 6 in various places. Um, Thank you, Lord. Where'd that go? Verse 7, the word of God spread and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of priests were obedient to the faith. You can see that constantly, uh, one verse tells us that there were people being added daily to the church. This is miraculous growth. And what we want to find out is what was the catalyst for it? What was the cause of it? 
Because like I said, you can grow a number of different ways, but most of those ways and those methods don't have anything to do with growing God's way. And I'm not here to judge anybody or anything. You don't know other people's hearts. You don't know why they've done what they've done. And that's between them and the Lord. But as for, as for me in my house, as for us in this house, we will grow because God is a God of increase. We know that. But we are determined to do it His way. Amen? So in chapter 9, notice this, just one verse. Look at it, verse 31. It says, then the churches, now the cross-reference there just says the church, one church, several places. Then the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified. That word edified means built up. Now we know something about this because that's what's going on around us right now naturally, right? I mean, this place is being built up. And the word edified itself, we use the word edifice, just means a building, this, this natural physical place is being edified right now. It's being constructed and reconstructed and remodeled. There's edification going on, but this place is not the only thing under construction. You are. I am. There's a building up taking place. I found this out just in the last few days studying this, that this same word edified was also translated emboldened. So the church wasn't just built. They were emboldened, even living under threat from religious leaders and various people, they were emboldened to preach the gospel. So the place had peace. They were edified. Now notice this. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. They were multiplied. I think that word multiplied, you look it up in the Greek, it's the word where we get plethora. They were increased. There was people and people and people and more just kept coming and coming. And you see here that in addition to the other things we've already talked about, being full of the Holy Ghost, being strengthened in faith, all these things we've dealt with in weeks past, what was another root cause to their miracle grow was that they were walking in the fear of the Lord and simultaneously at the same time and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Walking in the fear of the Lord. That's reverence. That's what Paul wrote to Timothy about. This is how I want you acting in church. Now, when you think about this place, this church, any group, any, anything at all that grows miraculously fast, any organization, any business, anything that grows while other things aren't growing, that grows while other things are shrinking. You have to conclude that at least at some base level, the reason it's growing is because people are finding something there that they're not finding in other places. They're finding some sort of flow of, of life. They're finding some need being met. And that's why even in economic downturn, you can watch it throughout history that even while times when most of the rest of the world was struggling, there was always pockets of people who were thriving and prospering and growing. It's like, how can you grow in a time when everything and everyone else is withering and shrinking back? 
Well, it's the, the, the base reason has got to be because people find something there that they don't find everywhere else. And you have to conclude when you look at this verse that these people were walking in the fear of the Lord. They're walking in the comfort of the Holy Spirit and they're being multiplied because of that. In other words, they're finding something here that they had never found in anything or anywhere else. And what they were finding, it wasn't, it wasn't an environment that was attempting to mirror what they already lived in. Right. It wasn't a culture that was striving to make them quote unquote comfortable. Right. It wasn't something that was trying to, trying to help them settle in and just make it as much like the world they already lived in. No. Had nothing to do with that. No. Why? Because they already lived in that world. Yeah. Why? Why try, go somewhere else to find something you've already got? Yes. So what they were finding here in the church was something they hadn't found and couldn't find anywhere else. And what the Bible tells us they were finding was the fear of the Lord wow. and, and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. The fear of the Lord. In the time that we have, I want to touch on some of this. Remember what Paul wrote to Timothy, what needs to be going on in the church, whether it's from the people who oversee or the people who serve. I'm looking for a reverence in the church. And if I could say, if there was any one thing that I believe is working in opposition to the church right now, it's the pressure to be as casual as you can to be as quote-unquote comfortable as you can. I'm not an, a, a, a historian. I can't pinpoint a place in history where these things occurred. And I don't know if it's in my lifetime, our lifetime, or previous, but you see it now, and to me, more than you've ever seen it before. And that's this unyielding pressure on the church to look and to sound like the world the people are already living in. And I, and I don't want to question or belittle the motive because I believe people are doing it out of a love for people. And, you know, I want you to know the God I know, so let me make it as easy for you as I can. And I'm not, again, trying to judge or criticize anybody's motive in that. But what I am required to do is look to the Word. And whatever was going on in that church is what needs to be going on in this one. Amen. And this is what the Lord said to me late last night. And it hit me. I think if you would have asked me this, I would have thought that I already knew it. But you know how the Lord can say something to you and just hit you in a new way? And this is what He said. I'll just read it to you. He said, There's not one thing that the Book of Acts church had that Legacy Church doesn't have. We have access to all of it. Yes. All of it. There's not one thing yes. that those people had that we don't. They had the Holy Ghost. We have the Holy Ghost. They had the anointing. We have the anointing. And as a matter of fact, we, if anything, have more than what they had. Ladies and gentlemen, you got a Bible on your lap. They didn't have that. You have the holy written Word of God sitting on your lap. They didn't have one thing we don't have. We have access to all of it. 
But it seems to me, and I think you would agree, if you've had any experience with this, that there is such pressure on the church right now to, I don't know another word to say it, just to be more casual, just to, just to try to create an environment that everybody is quote unquote comfortable in. And you got to be careful using that word comfortable. I know when Sarah and I, 10 years ago, stepped out into our own ministry, You've heard me give the, the testimony before. We were on staff with my parents, my grandparents. We were making more money than we'd ever had before. We'd been promoted and we were being used. And it seemed to me we could have stayed there a long time, except for this thing that kept coming up on the inside of us and the Lord calling us to launch out into the deep. And so we did it. And I kept finding myself as I was talking to people about what we were doing, I kept saying these words over and over. You know, we're just getting out of our comfort zone, just leaving what's comfortable, getting out of what's comfortable. And I said it, I must have said it a dozen times or more until finally the Spirit of God spoke up in me and said, you better watch what you call comfortable because you're calling a paycheck comfortable. You're calling job security comfortable. Meanwhile, I gave you the comforter. And if you're somewhere other than where he is leading you, that's anything but comfortable. So we got to change what we define as comfortable. And he even said it here. You've got these two things working hand in hand. You've got the fear of the Lord, the worship, the reverence, the awe of who God is and how big and how great and how awesome he is. And right at the same time, you've got the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And it takes these two things working together because the people before this, they had the fear thing. Oh man, they had the fear thing. They had that down. I've found a list of scriptures that dealt with this. Let me read some to you. Well, guys, put these on the screen for us. Put that one in Deuteronomy chapter four up there for us. Can you find that for me? Deuteronomy chapter four, verse nine. Look at this. This is the Lord speaking. He said, only take heed to yourself and diligently keep yourself lest you forget the things your eyes have seen. Go on verse, uh, keep going. And lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life and teach them to your children and keep going, your grandchildren. Look at the next verse. What does he say? Especially concerning the day you stood before the Lord your God in Oreb when the Lord said to me, Gather the people to me and I will let them hear my words that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live. All the days that they live on the earth and that they may teach their children. Teach them what? To fear him. To fear him. Go to that next one for me. Uh, chapter 5, verse 29. God said, oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and always keep all my commandments, that it might be well with them and with their children forever. Can you see this over and over yeah. about you learning to fear the Lord? It's interesting to me that this has to be learned. Well, if it has to be learned, that means it has to be taught. In other words, it's not automatic. And I think there are a great number of us going to churches all over the world who assume we are living and walking in this great fear and honor and reverence of the Lord. But you've got to stop and ask yourself, when was I taught it? 
Because if I wasn't taught it, then I haven't learned it. And what God said to his people over and over was not just to them, but he was saying, I want you to fear me. And then I want you to teach your children how to do it. Teach your children. Go on to that next one for me. These are all out of the book of Deuteronomy chapter six, verse one and two. Now this is the commandment. And these are the statutes and judgments, which the Lord, your God has commanded to teach you that you may observe them in the land, which you are crossing over to possess that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you and you and your son and your grandson. There's that generational thing again, your kids over and over all the days of your life that your days may be prolonged. What's the key to long life? The fear. Now there's something in us Especially those of us in this group, this word and faith group, we've been taught so excellently and eloquently on how to resist fear, right? And how to not live in any degree of fear. But then how do you reconcile this thing that's not just an Old Testament principle, by the way. This is not just a revelation of an Old Testament God. Didn't we just read in Acts how that these people were walking in the fear of the Lord. This is Old Testament. This is new. But how do we reconcile that? We've been told not to fear. And yet here we are being told over and over, fear him, fear God. Well, the difference, I believe, is that you are not to be afraid of him, but you are to fear him. And you can tell even in that you're like, okay, right? what's the difference? Well, we got to be taught the difference. You can see how, how small we are in our understanding of what that actually means to fear the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Are you going to help me a little bit today? Some of this is, I've never taught some of these things. Go to that one in chapter 10, Deuteronomy chapter 10. Verse 12 says, and now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you, but to fear the Lord? This is his requirement to fear the Lord, your God, to walk, go ahead, in all his ways and to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command today for your good. What's his commandment? To fear the Lord. Chapter 14, please, verse 23. Notice this one. He said, and you shall eat before the Lord your God in the place where he chooses to make his name abide, the tithe of your grain and your new wine and your oil of the firstborn of your herds and your flocks, notice this, that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. The fear of the Lord has to be learned so it has to be taught. And it's not something we... Like I said, understand naturally. It's not something we just function in, naturally speaking. Sarah and I have spent 10 years or more, ten, the, the last 10 years solidly, even the few years before that, when we first got married, we were traveling. And we went to, it's got to be hundreds of churches by now. And when you see that many different places, it's, it's kind of a snapshot to what's going on. And as many places as we've seen, that's still not even a fraction of how many there are. 
but you start to get a sense of how things are being done, at least on a national scale or regional, if not all over the world. And we've been in places not just in the United States, but in other nations, other countries. And she and I sort of started this list just between the two of us years ago after traveling some, just talking to each other saying, you know, if we had a church someday, we would do this or we would not do that. You know, just based on the kind of the sense you get in your heart while you're in that place. And let me tell you, if you've never done much traveling, it's different. The the atmospheres are different. I mean, you you can step into a place that's so full of the presence of God, that's so full of the love and the faith of God. Man, I have stepped on platforms and stood behind pulpits and just preached, said stuff I didn't even know, preached things I didn't even know I was going there. And there was so much unction on it and so much anointing and draw from the people in the congregation. It's some of the most fun I've ever had. Right on the other hand, I've stepped into places and couldn't wait to get out because it seemed like they couldn't wait to get out. It's different. But so much of it comes down to not the natural things that everybody seems to be so intent on right now and so big on right now in creating and providing a so-called comfortable environment. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with any of that. The only thing that would be wrong with it is if you're depending on it and not upon the comfort of the Holy Spirit. What would be wrong is if I'm dependent upon our mood lighting to help you receive the word. If I'm dependent upon my attire to help you be open to the word. If, if, if If my casualness or my dressiness is what makes you comfortable. If I'm dependent on that to comfort you, then I am excluding the Holy Spirit's ability to comfort you. Jordan and I were in a church one time in another country. And uh, we had traveled there. And I think on the travel day, man, I started not feeling well at all. And we got there and I just went straight to bed and um, found some medicine. When you're in another country looking for medicine, it's going to be a hard thing to do. Uh, so we, we found some and I, I was knocked out. And I had church that evening and wasn't feeling well, but wasn't going to miss it. So we went to service that night, and I'm telling you, the Lord's so good. He's so gracious. I I stood up, and as soon as I opened my mouth to speak the word, there was an anointing there. There was a strength there. Now, I had Kleenex in my hand the entire sermon. And I'm, I mean, my voice, you can hear it. I'm all, you know, and wiping my nose and sneezing and all, but we're pressing through it. Glory to God. And I don't know, man, I think I probably preached, what, an hour or more that night. And just the Lord helped me. He helped me big time. But I no sooner got off the platform, walked down the steps, and there was a man and his wife, and I think they were visiting the church. He walked up to me with his wife. He stood there, like, took kind of this posture right here, arms folded. He looked at me and said, you have a word for her. Go. You have a word for her. Go. Reverence has to be taught. Respect has to be taught. And I'm not trying to judge somebody because what they don't know, they don't know. But I sort of just laughed out loud 
I said, uh, uh, okay. And man, I got nothing. But I'm trapped in this spot. You remember this. And I said, well, okay, can I pray for you? I mean, totally dry. And I walked away thinking, you got a word for her, go. And my thought was, like a different word than the one I just spent an hour persevering through sickness and weakness and pain. And the, 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 a different word than the one the Lord just gave to the You have a word for her. What is that? It's disrespect. But it's not that it's disrespect for me. It's disrespect for him. It's disrespect for his word. Now, people don't realize that and they think it sounds like a good thing, right? You have a word. We got to be taught these things. It's like Sarah ministered to us earlier today. There's a time. There's a right time and a wrong time. No sooner did I get done with them and I turned around and this other dude walks up to me and Jordan's standing there and he looks at me and he says, I think I've got a word for you. And I'm like, okay, you know, halfway asleep. And this was his word. Beware of Jeb Bush. Beware of Jeb Bush. And if you don't know who Jeb Bush was, he's George W. Bush's brother and was the then governor of the state of Florida and was running for president. Folks, these are, this is not honor. And again, I'm not trying to say, you need to honor me. You need to honor my... No, it's not about that. But we manifest our honor for God in the way we respect and treat each other. And these things have to be taught. They have to be learned. I'm not getting anywhere as near as far as I thought I would today. Do you have just a couple of more minutes for me? Okay, Kay does. Thank you. I appreciate it. Go with me to Psalms chapter 33. I, I, I believe that in some of these things, there may be a difference in our church in others. And again, please hear me. That's not a criticism or a judgment of anyone or anything else. That is between them and the Lord. And you got to do what he tells you to do. But in this, what I'm telling you is there will be a reverence and a respect in this house for God and for his things. And we are not going to strive to see just how casual we can be. We are not going to make it our aim to see just how much like the world we can look and still be called church. We're not going to. And I don't believe that has to exclude us from reaching sinners. Why? Why do you want an environment that makes a sinner comfortable? You want an environment that makes him so uncomfortable? <laughs> Do you want an environment that just makes his skin crawl? Yeah. And he says, I got to do something about this. And he either jumps and runs away or he jumps and runs to the altar. Chris, am I telling the truth? I know by your own testimony, man. I know what you've told me before. I know what others have said before. They came into the house of God living like hell 
Monday through Saturday and sat in that environment and it wasn't because somebody pandered to the comfort of a sinner, but because they preached the word and depended upon the ability of the Holy Ghost to comfort in a way that you can't and I can't. And he let that draw them. Psalm 33 in verse 6 The Bible says, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays up the deep in storehouses. Verse eight, let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. That's what it is to fear the Lord. It's not to be afraid of him. It's to stand in awe of Him. The fear of the Lord begins in the most simplest place possible. It begins with you believing there is a God. You have to start there. But did you notice what the book of Acts said about that church? It wasn't just that they came to church on Saturday or Sunday and that on that day they had the fear of the Lord. It said they were walking in it. What does walking in it tell you? It tells you, man, this was an all day kind of thing. They lived with this unceasing, unyielding awareness. There's a God. There's a God. And he keeps showing up. He keeps doing miracles. He keeps showing these signs and these wonders. And he keeps doing things that only a God can do. And this fear came on them. And that's where it comes from. It comes from the revelation, the realization, there's a God. And I'm done arguing with him about it. I'm done arguing whether or not there is one. I look into creation and I see evidence of his awe and his wonder. And I look to his word and his word said that by his word, he created the heavens. And by the breath of his mouth, these worlds came to be. I believe it and I stand in awe. I stand in awe. There's a God. Somebody say that. There is a God. And it sounds so simple, but do you realize that that is 50% of what he requires you to believe? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe two things. Number one, he is. Man, he could have made a list as long as your arm of stuff you had to do and boxes you had to check if you were even going to come anywhere close to him. But he said, no, you come to me. This is all I'm looking for. Number one, you have to believe I am. Oh, come on. How did he reveal himself to Moses? Who do I say sent me? You tell them I am. You've got to believe that. And the fear of the Lord comes out of that. But not just the, 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 acknowledging of it or the the verbal acknowledging, yes, there is a God, but the walking in it, the day after day after day belief, there's a God, there's a God, there's a God. And if you believe that and will walk in it, baby, it will change the way you live your life. There, There are places you will not go. Why? There's a God. 
There are things you will not do anymore. Why? There's a God. There are things you won't say anymore. Why? Help me out. There's a God. There are things you won't look at anymore. Why? There's a God. There's a God. And not only is there a God, he's my God. This isn't, this isn't being afraid of him. This is the fear of him, that reverential awe and worship that he's a God. And it seems so simple, but the next step in cultivating the fear of the Lord, you know what it is? You realize not only is he real, he's real big. Amen. He's big. My God's big. It's, it's so childish, it's so simple, but I'm doing that on purpose. I'm teaching. Listen to me, young people, kiddos. God's real. Your heavenly father's real. And he's so big. He is so big. He's bigger than the world. He's bigger than the sun. He's bigger than the universe. He's bigger than the galaxies. He's so big. He holds all this stuff in his hand. That's how big he is. And yet, he lives in you. See, what am I doing? I'm teaching our sons and our daughters, right? Parents, what are we supposed to be doing? Teaching our sons and our daughters the fear of the Lord, not to be afraid of him. Baby, you don't have to lay there in bed at night afraid that God's going to hurt you or God's going to get you or God's going to judge you. He's not to be afraid of, but he is to be feared. He is to be worshiped. He is to be honored. And yes, you know, you can talk to him just like Sarah said today. He's your very best friend. You can talk to him like you would talk to a friend. But what you can't do is be disrespectful. And we show our respect for God in our respect for mom and dad, in our respect for authority, in our respect for each other. What you cannot do, the one thing you cannot do and get anywhere with God is dishonor. Man, I heard heard somebody not too long ago talking about the way he talked to God, how God told him to do something and he said back to God, seriously, God, seriously. And he was saying, you know, I don't even pretend anymore. He knows how I talk to him. I don't even fake it anymore. Again, I don't know what's in another person's heart. But I'm telling you, you start talking like that to God. You want to say seriously to God? You know what you're going to hear from him? Seriously? Seriously, Jeremy? Or you may just hear nothing at all. Because he is to be revered. He is to be honored. He is to be respected. But you do it out of this comfort of the Holy Ghost. Anyway, thank you, Lord. Psalm 89. I know I'm taking a long time with this today. I can't seem to help it. (laughs) Psalm 89. Notice this in verse 5. He said, The heavens will praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness also in the assembly of your saints. For who in the heavens can be compared to the Lord? Who among the sons of the mighty can be likened to the Lord? God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be held in reverence by all those around him. He is greatly to be feared. You don't have to turn there, but in the book of Leviticus, there's an account of how uh, one day Moses and Aaron 
had made an offering before the Lord. And man, you talking about God being real to you? He showed up. God himself came to church that day and they made this offering and fire from heaven came down and consumed this whole thing right there in front of all the people. And the Bible says there in Leviticus 10 that the glory of God filled that place. Now we get so used to talking in those terms. Oh, glory. Well, glory to God. Oh, the glory was there. No, 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 no. The glory of God is the very essence of God. It's, it's the presence of God, but that doesn't even begin to, to say it. It's, it's this weightiness. There was one day the glory of God so hit the place that the priest couldn't even stand up to minister. It was weighing on them. The presence of God so heavy, so thick, so real. And God consumed that offering. But right into the next chapter, the very next verse, chapter 11, of Leviticus says that Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, they saw this whole thing happen and that fire go up. And man, they ran up to it and they were priests after their dad. I mean, these are the preachers. These are the priests separated by God to minister to the people. And they ran up and they had these censers, these, I guess, sticks or posts or whatever you would call it. And they had these things on the end of it and they ran up and they put that into the fire. And the Bible says they offered a profane fire before the Lord. And they burned incense, not in obedience to God's commandment. In other words, these guys saw this big fire. They saw the glory of God. They're like, Oh, I got an idea. Here, you get your sensor, I'll get mine. Let's go get some of that and, 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 and we'll show it to the people. God never said anything to them about doing that. And the Bible says that the fire of the Lord came out and consumed them. And they fell dead right there. And Moses, I, I need to read this to you. Moses went to Aaron I mean, what do you say? Your sons have just been consumed by the fire. And Moses went to Aaron in Leviticus 11, or excuse me, chapter 10. That offering was in chapter 10. It came down into chapter 11. And Moses said, verse 3, this is what the Lord spoke, saying, by those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. And before all the people, I must be glorified. You want to know what happened? These guys played with fire. They were real casual with the presence of God, with the things of God. And instead of just doing what God had told them to do, the way he had instructed them in how to make these offerings and how to worship, they went to a place where they could be seen. They just got loose. They just got casual with it. And it seemed like an okay thing, right? I mean, it's all part of this service. And, but the problem was, number one, they disobeyed. And number two, it came out of this motive for them to be seen. And I don't totally know how to explain the difference between that day and this one. I do know 
that Jesus is the mercy of God. And that from the time he came to the earth and walked the earth and made the sacrifice that he did, there is, how do you say it, Lord? There's mercy in the air we breathe. And I don't think you or I or the rest of this unbelieving world has any idea how merciful God has been. And the fact that this isn't happening on a more regular basis is proof that he's merciful. It's proof that he's kind. But I do know that God is no less holy today than he was that day. The book of Hebrews, this will be my last scripture. Sarah, you guys coming up. Jordan, help me with this. I feel like I'm just searching here. Hebrews chapter 12 says in verse 28, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. That's what makes our service to God acceptable. When we serve with reverence and with godly fear. Why? Verse 29, for our God is a consuming fire. Now, I'm not reading out of the book of Leviticus now, am I? This is Hebrews. This is New Testament. Our God is a consuming fire. Would you stand up with me? Thank you, Lord. You know, I didn't say any of these things to scare you or to put fear in your heart about God or towards God. But all I'm doing is drawing our attention to how awesome He is. And I think in the church's desire and even good motivation to try to create an atmosphere and an environment where people feel more comfortable, one of the things that we've lost by default is that constant awareness of how awesome He is. And you don't have to lose that. You can have, you can have the greatest lights and the greatest sound in the world and not lose your reverence and your awe for Him. They're not mutually exclusive. We can have that and we will have in this place a very high, high honor and reverence for the things of God. But part of that is going to be us being taught how to do it teaching our kids how to do it. You know what I love? I love watching these kids run these halls. As soon as church is over, these halls are filled with giggles and screams and people are laughing and having a good time. That is so great. I love it. And I never want this to be an environment where kids come in and feel like they got to be robotic or androids in church because if I say anything too loud, pastor is going to be mad at it. No, come on. It's not about that. But we can learn that there's a difference between service time and after service, right? We can learn that. And we can know how to be in these times and know how to be in those times. And it, this is one of those things that is such a matter of the heart that in the teaching of it, you almost have to be careful because you can just read the scriptures and say the words and somebody can leave confused about God. Man, is. Am I about to get consumed? Have I been playing with fire and I'm going to get torched here? 
It's such a matter of the heart. I was in a service years ago. I was hosting a youth conference and convention and I had invited a guy to come speak and it was not the right move. It was not somebody I knew. I kind of took the word of somebody else and he started speaking that morning and he preached a message called the holy terror of knowing God. The holy terror of knowing God. And I could tell it was kind of freaking some people out in the room. And these things are so spiritual. There was a young student in our youth ministry. He had a lot of mental disabilities, physical disabilities. He was in service. And, and I noticed from across the room, he got real rigid and started shaking and rocking almost violently, kind of getting distracting in the room. So I went over and I kind of put my arm around him. I helped him calm down a minute. And it didn't take me long at all. I connected these dots. Yeah. What The spirit of what's being said is feeding this. Right. And in the middle of that service, this, this guy, bless his heart, this, this young kid in our youth group, he used to wear the Bluetooth headset all the time, never took it off. And he got a call in the middle of church and he was very loud and he answered it. I'm sitting there with him. He answers it real loud, hello, real loud like that. Of course, every head turns. And I just put my hand on him and said, buddy, you can't do that. Come here, come with me. Let's go this way. And I turned to walk out of the room. There's a curtain there that led into an empty room. And he screamed so loud. Get your hands off me. I'm going to kick you. And he did not hold back. Right in the middle of church. And all I know is my back was towards him. And I feel this arm come across my back. He hit me so hard. He was not alone in there. I'll tell you that. And we got out of there and I'm trying to calm him down. He's marching circles around me. I'm going to kill you. 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 And I just stood there saying, I love you, buddy. I love you, buddy. I love you, buddy. I love you, buddy. And just a few minutes after that, he starts crying. Please don't kick me out. Please don't kick me out. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But I saw it so clear. When you try to make people afraid of God, it's a spiritual thing. How do I even say it? I, I don't know. Am I saying it? Is it coming across? Do you understand what I'm saying? He's not to be afraid of, but he is to be feared. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, there are several ways for you to contact us. Feel free to give us a call at 817-577-0180. You can also contact us through the Legacy Studios app or either of our websites. Giving options are available online at pearsonsministries.com and legacychurch.family. If you prefer, you can also text an offering. Simply text LEGACY in any dollar amount to the number 28950 and follow the prompts. Be blessed today. We love you. And remember, you are always welcome here in the House of Faith.